Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bottled in China. I'm your host, Emily Steckenborn, and this is the podcast where we talk about wine, food, beer, cocktails, and even cocktail history. And today I'm super excited. We have Chris Lauder, who is the uh, spirits evangelist for Proof and Company, based out of Shanghai, but with experience out in New York, in Seoul, in Korea, and of course in Asia. And this is such a great podcast because we really discover. The origins of tonic water and gin tonics, and we talk about what he's done. He actually created a cocktail guide with tons of recipes and released that to the public without asking for anything, and really is living out trying to build up the cocktail industry and cocktail quality out here in Asia by working with Proof and Company. So let's take a look at his adventures and also just a great conversation about spirits and mixology. So let's get started. All right, so everybody, welcome back to Bottled in China. Today, I'm joined with Chris Lauder, who's from Proof and Company, joining us today out here in Shanghai. And welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. How are you today? Good. I've, you know, I've kind of done some research about you, and every time I open up a new link page or something, I get so much cool information of what you're doing, and I feel like I'm reading a celebrity right now. All of the bad stuff is true. Well, yeah, <laughs> they didn't put a lot of bad things. That's okay, what I'm a little that's, bit disappointed. That's good. It's there's the China not bad. Filters. Yeah, there's no bad gossip about you. I've been trying to find that, but I didn't find. It. That's it. A quick, <laughs> quick ten renminbi to the government, and uh, they yeah. they they turn up the firewall <laughs> on the the negative things. And some people even called you the bartender. Royalty. Oh, jeez. Did you see that? I have not seen that. I should show you. Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's an ego I was kind of like, wow, you know, I didn't dress up for this, but this is pretty awesome. Fair enough. All right, I'll take it. Bartender, jester, at least, or royalty, or something. Fair yeah. enough. And so you've just arrived in China. It's been fifteen months. Yes. And this is very exciting because before that, you had experience, you know, working in New York, working in Seoul, sure, other areas.、So、oh yeah. How did you get to China? Yes. So the first time I got to China was as a student. So I studied Mandarin in college and got scholarship and moved to Japan when I was nineteen from Japan to China and stayed in China then for gosh close to three years or so. Initially as a student in Beijing Foreign Language and Culture University and then studied Mandarin full time and then became a translator. Moved back to the states. Missed F and B. I was a cook for four years, working through high school and undergrad, and then so I moved to New York to get into the cocktail scene. And New York, blah blah blah, started managing the bars of the Nomad Hotel.、Mm. We won some awards there, and I missed Asia. So I got in touch with a guy I met on Facebook named Jason, who worked for a company called Proof and Company,、mm-hmm. and I knew they were doing a lot of hiring out in Asia.、Mm-hmm. So he actually got me to move to South Korea to open Four Seasons Seoul. Okay. Opened that hotel and managed all those bars for a year and a half. We won some awards for those bars as well, and then was at a point where my wife and I were looking to possibly take the next step from Seoul and talk to Proof. They said, "Look, we're opening a, an office in in China. You you speak Chinese. We've been working together already a year and a half. So let's do it." And now、wow. we're doing it. Yeah, that's so exciting. And so. Proven Company, just a little bit more about that. I know they do really high end boutique spirits,、sure. really high quality. Thank you. Much more craft in a sense. Yes. And China is is quite you know eager to have that because、yes. obviously the entire cocktail scene is kind of booming. But tell us a little bit more about Proven Company because it sounds like they are doing really awesome stuff and really getting their feet out here in China. So how is that all going? Yeah, totally. So the the idea with Proof is there's one central mission and there's a lot of 
ways to get there. And the mission is to raise the standard of drinking in our markets. So what that means is it can mean opening a cocktail bar. It can mean supporting cocktail education, cocktail events. We also import and distribute independent craft spirits. But one of the important things to say is that, you know, you can't really raise the standard if all you're doing is just providing nice things. It has to be accessible and it has to be, you know, at a price point that makes sense for bars. And it has to be something that's earnest and honest that bartenders can get behind as well. So it's one of the things that we do is not just bring in high quality boutique spirits, but really try and make it make sense for bars and then try and improve overall the guest experience, the bartender's experience, make sure that people are having an overall better time bartending or going to cocktail bars. And then that high tide just raises all boats. So what type of brands do you guys actually have with you? Sure. So in China so far, which is a subset of the overall portfolio that we represent through Asia, we're in, by the way, Singapore, Hong Kong, mainland China. And then we have sub-distributors throughout regional Asia. And from this year, we're also in Australia. So it's been a lot of growth recently, and, and we're really excited about that. In China, we have Plantation Rums, Citadel Gin. We have St. George Gins and Vodkas and Liqueurs from California. We have uh, soon-to-be Diplomatico rums by the end of next month, as well as Yaguara Cachaca, Artenam Tequilas. We have uh, East Imperial Tonics and Sodas. Yeah. We have uh, Mancino Vermouth, Renomato Bitters, etc., etc. We also bring in glassware and bar tools from John Jenkins and Urban Bar. So all of these things. And then what's nice is our team is comprised mostly of bartenders and people with a real F&B background. I'm 11 years F&B myself. And so we do a lot of also consulting and education. Mm. So that means that we can work with a lot of hotels, we can work with independent bars and upgrade their overall programming or help them achieve a certain goal and then also supply spirits that we believe in from independent companies. And which product is really working out and taking off out here in China? Oh boy. So Right away, you've got Plantation Rum and Citadel Gin, which are uh, two of the fastest growing and most exciting independent spirits in the world. That's owned by Maison Ferrand, who is a company out of Cognac, France. Then East Imperial has been really exciting in China because it's the first ever legal all-natural tonic water to ever come into China. What that means is it has real quinine inside. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm surprised I was allowed in. Yeah, that's, 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 we can leave that in the podcast. Yeah. That's a real deal. Yeah, so it, it's it's this is the first time it's ever happened. So it's really exciting, and it's a company. So East Imperial is a company out of Asia, and so they it's New Zealand water, and all of the key ingredients are all sourced from around regional Asia. A lot of people don't know this, yeah. but tonic water actually is a Asian thing. So it comes from Asia. So the history is you have uh, Kinchona bark. So it's the bark from this Kinchona tree. And then the inside, if you peel the tree bark, then the inside, if you dry it, has this white powder you can scrape out. And that's called quinine. And so that has a bitter flavor, but also cures malaria. Well, that's what I thought it was. That's yes. what I thought that, you you know, everyone was, was always talking about that. I just never thought it came from Asia. Oh, yeah, totally. So so it's a, a bark. You can also get it from Indonesia. So from Java in this case. And what happened was... What had happened was a lot of settlers, not settlers, but really uh, people looking to open export trades in Asia. So looking to come and, and find nutmeg and, you know, citruses and spices. So they would come over from the Netherlands and from, you know, Spain and England, etc., and come to Asia. Now, in the process, 
you would get scurvy. So the sailors all got a ration of one lime per day that they had to eat, which they would then put into their ration of gin that they got every day to drink. And that was the cure, actually. That the was, gin. The gin was, was the cure. A hundred percent. And it, it sure, you know, I'm still alive, so yeah. my gin ration's working out just fine. But then they also started to have to take a quinine ration because you would mm. get malaria in Asia. And so you'd mix all this up. You'd have your gin and your lime and your quinine and they'd add some water and then eventually you get a gin and tonic. Now, this is a thing that European people had to drink when they lived in Asia to protect from the bugs and diseases out here. Now, it's not too long before you have some enterprising people in Asia who say, hey, Every day, these people have to drink this nasty quinine stuff. So why don't I, as an exporter that already has access to lime leaf and lemongrass and cinnamon and sugar from from Indonesia and all these cool things, and it's cheap for me because I'm already organizing it to be exported, why don't I steep this into a tea, add in the quinine, and then charge it with uh, CO2 to make it bubbly and then make a delicious natural product? So that's the origin of, of tonic water in Asia. And so it's an Asian thing. Now that is so crazy. Super cool, right? But so, nobody drinks tonic water out here. What no, happened? Yeah, so exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the 40s happened and then everything kind of went to hell. But uh, <laughs> So what happens is that in history, okay, you come out here every day of your life, you're drinking a gin and tonic yeah. could, from, from medical necessity. Also, it's, it, it's pretty it's fun. It's pretty and good. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah. So then what happens, you know, you, you move back to Europe, you've been drinking a G&T mm. every day for 10 years. And what do you want to drink? A GNT, naturally, right? But the problem is that in Europe, you don't have lemongrass, you don't have lime leaves, you don't have all this delicious stuff. And when you can get it, it's imported and super expensive. Yeah. So what do you do is you find a way to artificially recreate those flavors. And then what happens is you get a overall lessening of the quality of tonic water. And then fast forward a couple of generations, that's all people know. So now... This is fascinating. Super I didn't, cool. I didn't even know this history about the gin tonic. Oh, yeah. I feel gin tonic right now has become so much more interesting yes. than what I thought it was. Oh my gosh. It's the it's such a fascinating... I didn't even know that. For me, I'm a big nerd about this stuff regularly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then, and then working with the cool brands and you get into the story yeah. and then you meet the... It's what's nice about working with independent brands is that they're small. So out of necessity. And so you... It's such a short food chain from the guy who literally created the recipe for this tonic water to me who is opening, uh, uh, you know, helping in China and making it really meaningful. And then, so you get to meet the guy and they're really passionate. Yeah. But anyway, so, so there's this guy, Kevin, and his great grandfather was a maker of tonic water in the region at the time. And so he found his recipe book and diary and was like, you know what is a shame is that no one in Asia is making a proudly Asian tonic water anymore. So where is he based? So he he's based out of Singapore. He travels around a lot because yeah, he's growing his course. brand. But it's New Zealand unfiltered water. And then they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make all natural, no artificial anything. We're going to get it all from Asia, from whence it came. You know, yeah, from the yeah, original, the yeah, the real deal. Uh, the real deal, Shaquille O'Neal, as my bar back used to say. <laughs> he was a very tall guy from Iowa. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> well, then he has the right deal. to say that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> real deal. Jeez. Uh, so, so, so he started gathering all these recipes and then created this all-natural tonic water. So we anyway, we're bringing it into China now. And there's it, it, people are loving it. So we just finished a gin tonic terrace at Lil Laundry. So if okay. you right by Portman Hotel. Yep. 
So for those of you not in Shanghai, I'm sorry, you have to just move here or, or visit and, <laughs> and then live the dream. But if you if you go around the Ritz-Carlton Portman at Lil Laundry, we just uh, finished a gin tonic terrace with East Imperial tonic waters and all of these craft gins from around the world. Hmm. Uh, I know you guys had the Peddlers team on here recently. Yeah, we did. So, so you guys had some... You 100%. Had oh, oh great. yeah. I, I drink it at home as well. Those guys are great. So we try to build community whenever possible as yeah. part of Proof. And it's part of our mission of raising the standards of drinking. We can't do it ourselves. So yeah. it, it's, a, it's a community. So it's important to give back to that. Well, that's when they came on on the episode. They also, you know, they were so sweet and they gave me a bottle of Peddler's Gin nice. and they gave me two bottles oh, of oh. the tonic. Okay. Oh, nice. So, and they're like, well, if this is the best tonic, so you have to have it with it. And I thought, this is great, you know, because nice. it's not just enjoying just the, the spirit. You definitely want to compliment it, right? Totally. Yeah. So they, they were also supporting you. <laughs> nice. Well, we, we've done a couple activations together and those guys are great. And so they, we have a grapefruit tonic that we do. I don't mm. know if that's what they gave you, but they really like it with the grapefruit tonic. Yeah. Which is all naturally flavored with with grapefruit oil, and they have a pop up right now at Suit Supply, and so if you go in the back of Suit Supply, you can have some Peddler Gin and East Imperial Grapefruit Tonic, nice. and uh, it's a really slippery slope because then you wind up buying a suit on your way out. Oh you know no, I mean? really? Oh, one hundred percent. And they have good suits out there, <laughs> yeah, so oh it's like gosh, a win win situation. Incredible, right? yeah. It's a win win, <laughs> and you drink, and you you know you, anyway, you, you're you're uh, maybe a couple thousand renminbi later. But oh so no. It goes. Hey, hey, hey. Well, it's not too bad because you do come out with a good drink. No regrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasize on that one, right? <laughs> 100% no regrets. It's a great day. So you, so, oh my God, I'm just shocked because I'm learning so much about Gin Tonic right now and about okay. all the little brands that you guys have and, and the story because it really is meaningful. And yeah. a lot of what happens is, especially when you look back and you find a journal with your grandfather's uh, recipe and so what cool. he did is almost like you're continuing that tradition 100%. and you embody it, yes. right? So it's really exciting to see what he managed to do. And the brand is growing really fast. I remember being in Bangkok for Christmas and our friends ordered some tonic water, I guess, just to drink like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what they gave us. Oh, that's So, nice. I mean, it really is growing. I've been seeing it around quite a lot. So it's very exciting to have that brand. Well, and thanks. great packaging as well. I mean, Thank it's you for really, really great packaging. Really pretty, right? Yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah. They got the bottles custom made in Japan and there's oh. all this nerdy, there's all all this nerdy stuff about okay. how like the the bottles are sealed so that there's no seam on the inside so that the mm. bubble any blah 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 wow. it's really really cool so they really put some thought through it <laughs> yeah, it's awesome it's a, a very thoughtful GNT wow. and then for me I'm just sitting outside with my sunglasses on and just having one so there you go well that's what it's meant to do that's at the end it. of the day it's meant to just have a great cocktail out yeah, of yeah, it right for sure for sure if, if if we can get cerebral all day but if it's not tasty at the end of the day then what are we doing so for sure yeah 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 so tell me so you've you've come to China for 15 months now yes. you've lived all also in Seoul. Yes. And I'm sure you've traveled a little bit around Asia sure. and you lived in Japan for a while, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know, looking at the cocktail industry, what was most shocking when you arrived in China and what did you expect before coming and what is the reality now being here and working here? I, that's a great question. So I would say that the thing that's shocking, but probably should not be shocking, given all that we know about China, is how utterly fast it's growing and how fast the development has been. So I lived here in China from 2008 until about 2012. Okay. And at that time, there was no cocktail scene, really. There was maybe a handful of bars, and they were doing some early proto-cocktail thing. And then, of course, you had your you know, your, your G&T and your mojito and your uh, Long Island iced tea and all that kind of stuff. So then coming back, I came back for Shiva's Masters, which I, I am uh, proud to say that I, I am a global judge for, have been supporting for the last four years, and came back for the global competition and was just blown away by how 
utterly quickly everything had developed. And now that I moved here, what I'm seeing more and more is it's not just the major cities where, okay, I come to Shanghai, you come to Beijing, you're expecting a certain level of cocktail in a, in a cosmopolitan city. But, you know, going to Shenzhen, where I think they've opened one bar per week for the last uh, 14 months, that's crazy. And I don't, yeah. mean, I don't just mean a restaurant with a bar. I mean a dedicated cocktail bar where people are shaking daiquiris and, and doing like prohibition recipes and all this kind of stuff. That's crazy, right? Yeah. But the, the population can support that kind of drinking culture. And then, you know, I was just in Nanjing. I went to Hangzhou, Suzhou. I'll be in Ningbo next week. So even these more, what I would think, more regional cities across China, you're seeing this huge bubbling up of of bars and the it's sophisticated it's very modern it's quite current that people are loving to drink craft and and the standards are really high so i've been very pleasantly surprised by the speed of the development i mean there's a trajectory if you look at every major city from you know new york to london to singapore to wherever where cocktails started and then there's certain phases that they kind of go through right so there's like the first couple guys who do like the milk and honey craft cocktail thing and and then everyone gets really surprised and then there's this huge blow up of yep. speakeasies and mixology and celebrity bartenders and then then you have restaurant bars become more of a thing as cocktails become more of a grocery item and then eventually uh, you get into whatever the heck is next but China's just grown so fast and you know every time we have we had Eddie on we had Yao on sure. we had uh, Peddlers also jump yeah. on and all a lot of Macarena which I, I don't know if sure, you met sure, her sure. before yeah, from 1515 and every time we have somebody who who's obviously an expert they always tell us about all this growth in China and I just have a question for you do you think that the speakeasy craft is a little bit overplayed in areas like Shanghai and in Shenzhen and that a lot of the design or a lot of the menus are very much craft and prohibition mm. style but yet the cocktails just don't live up to it I think that in every market that grows you will see a explosion of speakeasy mixology mm -hmm. bars with celebrity bartenders and with you know 12 ingredients in a cocktail and it comes out in a little bathtub or in a light bulb <laughs> you know what i mean it has lasers totally dry ice and there's a disco show and yeah. you know it's a whole thing so I think it's inevitable that you will have a saturation of these bars because that needs to happen before guests get a developed sense of value. Hmm. And so you have to necessarily have a big explosion of cocktail bars where prices go up and quality kind of goes down yeah. a little because yeah. people start focusing more and more on their cocktail and on their own celebrity and less on the guest and it becomes a disappointing experience. And I think that's healthy. Because what it teaches people is that there it's not just about a cocktail. There's such thing as a good bar and a bar that's not as good. And then naturally, the bars that aren't as good that are focusing more on gimmickry and dry ice and bathtub, you know, and yeah. all this kind of stuff and the hidden entrance and all this blah, 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 blah. They go the way of the buffalo and people get more and more into, hey, you know what? I 
I'm not so interested in your 10 ingredient cocktail because I've had cachaça before and I know specifically what brands that I like. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't need a 10 ingredient. You know, this doesn't look like a tasty cocktail to me. And, you know, I would prefer just an, uh, an old fashioned, but with the, such and such kind of rye or a Manhattan with this kind of vermouth. And they need to, it takes time for a drinking population to mm-hmm. get sophisticated enough to start putting increased demands on the bar. And once that happens... And it, it is starting to happen more and more in Shanghai, which I think is where your question comes from, is that people are getting a little bit burnt out by getting disappointed by these kinds of experiences. But what it means is that you've got great places like uh, I think Cannery is a really good example yeah. of a modern bar where the cocktails are great. They're a little understated. They're more straightforward. There is a strong food concept. The yeah. hospitality is there. The drinks come fast, but they're thoughtful. Well, Mark is, Mark is just they absolutely crush it. amazing. And Michael yeah. and all those guys, yeah. and they're oh, just for insane. Sure. For and, sure. uh, but I think that's, that's what's next, and that's what you see in places like London and New York as well, and Singapore, is that there was also this big mm-hmm. speakeasy boom, and then people said, okay, Mr. Mixologist, like, how about we just focus on me for a minute and uh, my experience as a guest? And then you get places like Saxon Parole and The Nomad and and places that really focus on being a great uh, center for hospitality. Yeah. And then that, as a natural extension, there is great cocktails, but there's also great wine, great beer, great tea, great coffee, great food, great service, great ambiance. And that's hard. And it also takes time to grow that kind of clientele that wants to come back to your shop. Because in China right now, you know, even for us, I go, we were walking down one night and there's three new bars right in front of Egg, mm-hmm. you know. Yes, um, I love Egg. Yeah, and there's tons of new restaurants around and, and we're going, we've only, I've been on business trips for four months. <laughs> I just come back to a new city every time I come to Shanghai. And, but then, to be honest, if I don't go now, they might be closed in six months. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, so it's kind knows? of like, you never know who's going to last in a sense, which yes. is something we always talk about. Now, I, I have so many questions That's for you, okay. and, and one of them is, you created a cocktail guide with around 178 different drink recipes. Yes. Tell us about that, because so many people have been talking about that, and when I you know researched you and, and stopped Uh-oh. you a little Here bit, everyone's like, you know, this was an eye, it was something that most people would charge for, or most people mm. would try to leverage, and yes. somehow you gave this free as a tool to help and better the industry. So tell right. me about that. And this is, this is one of the things, okay, so... As some background context, so I was in Seoul, and from Seoul, I would come to China, I would come to a lot of different markets to do trainings. I think that year, I went to 14 major cities, seven countries, something like that, to do cocktail trainings and staff trainings, just you know, on the weekends or, or as an extension of different uh, brand activities and yeah. things. And one thing that I started to, one thing that really started to wear on me was that Everyone wanted this higher, oh, teach me the mixology thing, Mm. teach me these crazy techniques and blah, blah, blah. But it was at the same bar where I couldn't necessarily get a quality old fashioned. And one of the guys who mentored me named Souther in New York, he always told me he was a chef background also. And he said, look, if you can't cook rice, you can't carve ice, meaning I'm not going to teach you the fancy stuff until you have a firm understanding of the basics. And so... There's a couple things that I think are interesting there. And one is I just want people to 
have a firm grip on a baseline. And that should be something that's just freely shared. I think that the idea of secret recipes and the idea of some secret thing that you're doing in a glass that is somehow going to make a guest come back. So there's something that's interesting here. And the thing is to me that the idea of a secret recipe, the idea of just you're doing something special, whether it's one extra dash of bitters or a half a spoon of syrup or something, or, oh, this whiskey versus that whiskey. This isn't why guests come back to bars. Guests come back to bars because they want an experience that they want to feel like the bar recognizes them, they remember them. You know, I always, uh, one of the guys that trained me always said that if, if you know more recipes than you do jokes, then you're not a very good bartender. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. And, it, and I will. I will. <laughs> and your jokes that. are good, actually. Hey, there we go. Well, I just we just make it up as we go. Uh, so it, I would extend to that that if you know more drink recipes than you do the names of your regular guests, then you're not really paying attention as a bartender. So it's not really about you know, do you know another variation on a Negroni or something? It's really I try to train people to say, hey, look. Okay, you know your cocktails. The cocktails should be great. That's part of the entry ticket. But what additionally is important, much more important, is to make people feel good. And to, you know, if someone comes down and they introduce their name, you can write it secretly on a coaster and put it kind of uh, in front of where they're sitting that they can't see. And then you remember their name and you can come back and, you know, these are real important bar tricks. And and it makes such a difference. Oh, my gosh. Never mind that, you know, I can throw a cocktail six feet or or juggle the bottles. If, If you can't, you know, get people water you know, and and pay attention to, you know, these people are on a first date and so they I should treat them a certain way. These people are, you know, uh, a little nervous and I should treat them a certain way. This guy's by himself, so maybe he wants some more conversation. This is really making people feel comfortable. So part of the reason why I wrote the recipe guide is just to take a couple topics off the table, yeah. which is secret recipes and classics and, you know, how do you blah, 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 whatever. Here's the recipes. Great. We're done yeah. talking about that. Now now we can read that, learn it, and focus on something that maybe is more meaningful for your guests. And so there, part of it is that. Part of it also is I think that there's a group of people who are going to learn. Part of it is that. Part of it is uh, what you mentioned of, of why not charge for the recipe manual. Yeah. And in my opinion, there's a group of people who are going to research this stuff anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, there's, and everything's so transparent. Oh now. my gosh! I mean, even if you created a book, you could probably download the PDF. Totally. You know? And then yeah, look, and I, I especially in China, right? Oh, like yeah. I've, <laughs> I've got a WeChat channel that if I text them the name of a book and five RMB, they'll just send me back the digital copy. I don't pirate books, you guys. It's wrong F- to pirate I. books. It's wrong. It's not a thing to do. Uh, so, but hey, China. Uh, so anyway, let, everything's out there, yeah, right? Sure. And so I researched all this stuff on my own, and there's there's no reason why anyone else couldn't go ahead yeah. and, and do the same thing. So there's a group of people who are going to do that anyway. Yeah. Then there's a, a lot of people who, even if you put it online, aren't going to memorize the, the mm-hmm. recipes. But then there's a third group of people who maybe want to learn these things and yeah. just don't know how to find out what it is they want to find out. Yeah. So for me, it's raising the standard of drinking. It's just providing a service for, for the bar community that mm-hmm. I think is important. Yeah. And it's it's shifting the topic of conversation away from something that feels 
good. It always, there's nothing really particularly courageous about focusing on your strengths and developing your strengths. So if you're really good at recipes, then okay, great. Like you'll learn more recipes. But I think that focusing a little bit more on something that's maybe less comfortable, like learning people's names and getting involved, especially nowadays when we talk mostly on our cell phones and Mm -hmm. through social media, uh, giving people a real human experience is I think so important for hospitality. And I completely agree with you. And I think that this, a lot of what you say is really in line with what you've you've been telling us and also what Proof and Company does is mm. really trying to bring in an experience, a story, a background sure. to every conversation, every drink that you have. And there's so much that you could learn from a drink like I just did in this episode. <laughs> but, you know, we do have to wrap up. So I'm going to ask you two, three quick questions. Okay. My first, and this, I'm going to fire some questions and you have bring to answer on. them. Favorite cocktail? Ooh, I like a Queen's Park Swizzle. I'll tell you what that is. Is it because you're considered bartender royalty? Oh, That's it. <laughs> Full house. All right. There we go. <laughs> hey, still got it. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Queen Spark Swizzle is like an aged rum mojito okay. with bitters on top. So it's oh, got a little that bit sounds more really good. complexity. Yeah, All it's right. just so yummy. Second, favorite. If you had to pair a cocktail to a Chinese dish, what would it be? Oh, wow. There is a cocktail called a bamboo. And that is a... Sherry martini, basically. Okay, that it's that sounds so great. Is that with like hairy crab you would pair it with? So, well, you could, you could. So, I just think because in Shanghai you have a lot of Huangzhou, so yeah. you have all of this exactly. age, and it almost tastes like an Oloroso sherry meets Namoro. Mm. It's in this kind of same space, so it's this low ABV, almost a cocktail in and of itself. Yeah. And so, a bamboo is you can do a Montiato or Fino sherry, mm. uh, and then just some some dry vermouth or sweet vermouth. There's all kinds of different yeah. variations, and just stir it up with a twist and it's so yummy and what would it go with i you know what i would do that with uh some just a shanghainese dinner i i would i would you know you've got your pork belly you've got your your Mm. dumpling you've got uh, all kinds of little fish dishes and this kind of thing and i that for me is such a sessionable cocktail i can do that all meal long Ooh, that sounds actually really good i'm gonna think of that one bamboo i'm telling you i'm gonna go look that up and of course how can we get in touch with you and contact you and find out more about what you're doing so i am consistent with all my social media i am (laughs) at get louder now l-o-w-d-e-r get louder now and so that is on instagram i don't use twitter don't reach out to me on twitter uh but it's on there and my wechat also this is my wechat id it's just get louder now so just give me a shout and you know what we're going to add your information out in the basically a lot of our information right after the episode so people can actually look at the show notes and they're going to find how to contact you or Mm. how to get in touch but you know what this is such an awesome episode i feel we didn't even get through a quarter of what i want to say (laughs) because there's so many stories that you have sure I'd love to have you back. Let's I'd be do it so excited. Yeah, for sure. But listen, I want to thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to see what you're going to shape and what you're going to do out here in Shanghai. Yeah, it's going to be a, a treat. It's a journey already. It's got a journey ahead. So let's let's get involved. I'm excited. Awesome. All right. Talk to you soon. Cool. Cheers. Cheers. 